Hello, everyone. My name is Josie Hayes, and welcome to my podcast about the book, Things Fall Apart. I would like to start off this podcast by talking about the main character of the novel, or of Chinua Achebe's masterpiece. His name is Okonkwo. Now, Okonkwo follows the pattern of the basic tragic hero, a structure consisting of four characteristics created by Aristotle. His life starts off pretty horribly, and then he gets this call to action, this motivation, which could have come from his lazy father, his idea, or his idea of being the greatest in Umofia. So he became a man with many titles in his clan. He worked his way up and was a godlike figure who had many wives, crops, and children. Then he had his downfall, an eruption that characterizes his destructive behavior, if you will. He loses everything and is exiled. When he came back, he hoped to become bigger and better than what he had been before, and he hoped to repair his damaged reputation. Unfortunately for him, though, everyone had converted, has converted to Christianity, and no one really honestly remembers him, because it had been seven years at that point. He refuses to change with his society, and he refuses to see the faults that he has that had led up to his demise. So he tragically committed suicide. Why is his life like this? Why didn't he take responsibility for his own actions? There are many answers to to these questions. The major part of Okonkwo's personality that led to his death was how he had little to no acceptance for anything. He couldn't accept anything that wasn't perfect in his eyes. He was too stubborn for anything, and this all stems from his idea of what a man truly is and what woman and what woman and what a woman truly is. This was a role, a major role in his destructive behavior. Now this brings us to the topic of today. Sexism and toxic masculinity are the two major themes in this story. They are not only responsible for Okonkwo's tragedies and the answers to those two questions that I asked earlier, but they're also responsible for destroying major relationships within his family and around him, friends, and ultimately leading, and they ultimately led to his death. Okonkwo is just the center of the wide spectrum of these two themes held throughout the book. Sexism and toxic masculinity play a huge role in the society that Okonkwo lives in too, or the Igbo society as it is considered. It is filled with sexist rituals and ideas. However, sexism and toxic masculinity are also huge, huge issues in today's society, and some even trace back to the Igbo society. Now this brings us into our very first segment which is things that have gender roles in our society and in things fall apart. The first thing I would like to talk about is things fall apart. And the major thing that has gender roles in this book is the crops, and the main crop would be yams. Yams are seen as a masculine crop, and this is because it is so difficult to grow and harvest. Men are considered inherently stronger than women and much smarter. So, ultimately, this means that they should be the ones growing this crop. Any man that can grow a yam successfully will be exceptional. It is quoted on page 33 by Achebe saying that yams stood for manliness, and he who could feed his family on yams from one harvest to another was a very great man indeed. In today's society, yams are kind of like money or currency. A man is expected to make more money than a woman 
though that attitude has changed a little bit more, we are still so far from equality, as women are very likely to make between $400,000 and a million dollars less than a man in the same position. And again, this all is all dependent on race and socioeconomic backgrounds, too. You see, the more money and power a man has, the more he has he is looked up to the more yams a man can grow or the more titles he has in his clan the more he's looked up to this can be seen as a form of toxic masculinity and sexism as women are put down while men have the pressure of, the, of these certain expectations this limits the success of some people men will be seen as weak if they can't meet these needs and women can't ever be listened to To continue on with our first segment, I would like to talk more about things with gender roles, but in internal forms. What I mean by that is by disrespectful words or phrases that would hurt you sort of on the inside, kind of like an insult. For example, throughout the story, you'll see or you'll hear and read Okonkwo referring to certain men as women. A man is typically called this when he has no titles in the clan or when he is just considered a more feminine man, and usually that is because he has no titles. This just means he's weaker, and that degrades women even more in this climate of Igbo culture. Another thing I'd like to bring up is the fact that there is only one woman involved in making decisions in Igbo society, and that is the oracle. But only men were able to really make the important decisions and things fall apart. Another version of gender roles would be in stories. For example, Okonkwo's son Noye likes his mother's stories. He, they're all pretty much fables, and he always remembers them, and he loves and misses the lessons that they teach. But he wants to impress his father because he knows that women's stories are typically referred to as, you know, foolish and stupid. But he wants to impress his father, so he goes along with every story that his father tells him. And of course, these stories are a lot more violent, and he notices that. Now, I would like to move on to the second segment of today's topic, which is physical versions, or more violent versions, of toxic masculinity and sexism. And the first thing I would like to bring up is the wrestling match that happens in Umofia. Now, Umofia is the village that this story takes place in, and there's a wrestling match that determines who will be a good husband or good suitor for marriage. This is how Okonkwo made his name in the village and how he met his wife, Ikwefi. Now, Ikwefi, at the time, was considered the most beautiful girl in the village. This violent ritual includes boys wrestling against each other while the girls who are considered of age to marry watch and see who will be the best groom. Essentially, the man who, or man or boy who wins this violent competition will be expected to marry the prettiest girl in the village, like I just said, and like Okonkwo just did. This is how they prove themselves to be a true man, pretty much. And men who can't win, or come in last place, are considered to be more feminine or weaker. Those are usually the men who are called women. This is a way, sort of, of making a trophy out of a husband, and it puts pressure on women to pick the man who wins. This is another form of toxic masculinity because it puts, puts pressure on boys and it makes them think that if they don't win, they are unable to support a family. 
somehow. And it's this idea that sort of contributes to the toxic society that they are living in and things fall apart. Now, to add on to our second segment, I would like to talk more or dive more into uh, physical abuse by the hands of the father. Now, in Igbo society, women and children pretty much live in fear of their husbands and fathers. Their husbands and fathers were pretty much allowed to beat them regularly, and nobody would do anything about it. For example, on page 29, Okonkwo beats his wife for a seemingly minor thing, and it just happened to be during Peace Week. But if it wasn't for Peace Week, he wouldn't have been punished at all. And the reason why he beat her and why he was so upset was because she went to a friend's house to plate her hair and wasn't home early enough to cook dinner for him and the children. Even author Chinua Achebe states that this was justifiable anger. This is something that is obviously highly illegal today, and thankfully we look down upon those you abuse, but it still happens, and it goes unnoticed at times. Thankfully, when it does happen, we arrest them, and we arrest the people that abuse and charge them, but not always, and people still don't always feel comfortable doing it. You see, on average, in the U.S., one in three women have experienced some form of physical abuse by a spouse. Now, this ranges from slapping, shoving, and pushing. And in some cases, these three aren't always reported because they're not always considered as domestic abuse, which you are obviously going to say, well, that's insane. And it is. Now, one in four women are the victims or endure physical severe physical violence and are hospitalized by a partner and one in every 15 and one in every 15 children will endure some sort of abuse by a parent and that same statistic one in every 15 children will be eyewitnesses of domestic abuse now keeping these statistics in mind there are only about 20,000 calls daily in the u.s made to abuse hotlines but like I said, keep it this in mind that they're only hotlines. Not all of them are reported to the police. And this is largely due to the, to the fact that women still don't feel comfortable reporting abuse. And, ch- and children typically don't have the option to, which is very sad and disappointing, especially when you consider today's society more advanced than back then. Okonkwo also, I would like to bring up the fact that Okonkwo beats his son, Noye, who I've previously mentioned before. He beats him regularly, fearing that he will become like Okonkwo's father, Unoka, who wants him to man up. This will go in, uh, into Okonkwo's unrealistic expectations that he has for Noye, which ultimately ends poorly for the both of them. But I'll talk more about that into our next segment. Now I would like to move on to our third segment, which is one of our final segments. And these are the relationships that are affected by sexism and toxic masculinity and things fall apart. I would like to start off by talking about Okonkwo and his father's relationship. Now Okonkwo viewed his father as lazy and his father didn't have any titles in his clan and he was always in debt with his neighbors. So him and his father never got along at all, and Okonkwo completely resented his father for this and was very embarrassed by the fact that this, that, that, that was his father. He hated it. And Okonkwo is scared that his son Noye will turn out like his father, like I just mentioned. So he beats him. 
Okonkwo can't endure that kind of embarrassment again, and this sort of highlights his insecurities in a way. Now, Noye still tries to build a relationship between him and his father, but can't, and this is mainly due to what he did to Ikemefuna. Now, Ikemefuna was a boy that lived with his family, and they both became very good friends over time. Okonkwo eventually kills Ikemefuna because the gods decided he must die. Now, this is where a major conflict is brought up in the book, because Okonkwo did not have did not have to do this. Any other person in the clan could have, but he kills Ikemefuna anyway, and he feels nothing from it. And this is because he thinks that a man's only emotion that he can feel is anger, and that a man does what he's told without any complaints, or tells people what to do, and doesn't endure complaints from them. Of course, Noye doesn't, does not see it this way. He thinks that his father is a complete monster for this, and is com- and completely dismantles and this completely dismantles any chance that they had of a decent relationship. Okonkwo starts to think more and more over time that Noye is becoming like his father. Now, how we know in the book that their relationship is completely and forever ruined is when Noye eventually decides to convert to Chris convert to Christianity while Okonkwo is exiled. Okonkwo beats him for this, pretty ruthlessly too, and then he completely disassociates himself from Noye. He says that Noye is no longer a son and tells his other sons that if they turn out like him or disobey him, he will beat them too, and he calls Noye a woman to his other sons. It was the toxic masculinity that drove the two apart. As I said, Noye was different, and Okonkwo couldn't accept change. Noye does not fit Okonkwo's idea of a true man. And the next relationship I would like to talk about that also falls apart is Okonkwo and his daughter Azinma. Now, Azinma is the only surviving child of his wife Akwife, which or Akwifi, which is one of Okonkwo's wives that I just talked about earlier. She was the prettiest in the village. But Okonkwo takes care of Ezinna um, extra, like more than he does his other children because she is the only surviving child of Bequifi. However, Okonkwo still regrets the fact that she is a girl, and he only truly likes this because he knows that she will attract powerful male suitors to be her husband. And this is because of Okonkwo's power in the in the clan, but it's also because of her beauty. Okonkwo uses her like a pawn or a trophy. After he is exiled, he desperately needs her to marry somebody powerful that's in the clan. He wants her to find somebody that will increase his status. He pretty much just uses her for his benefit. And this is all Ok all part of Okonkwo's comeback plan. However, this doesn't happen. Uh, Ezimna marries somebody that converted to Christianity because after Okonkwo is exiled, um, Christianity is very, very uh, inserted into Igbo society. There pretty much is no Igbo society anymore. It's all Christianity. So Ezimna marries a Christian, uh, someone Christian, and that that's it for Okonkwo at that point, at that part in the plan. And Ezimna and Okonkwo will never speak to each other or have a good relationship after that. 
Now, for our final little segment here, I would like to talk about or mention bride prices because I think they're incredibly important. And though they're minor, they still play into the theme of toxic masculinity and sexism, and it's kind of how they tie together. You see, in Igbo culture, there is a negotiated payment between two families in which the husband pays the wife's family for them to get married. A man who can't pay a bride price is a man who can't support a family. Kind of like uh, a man who can't win the wrestling competition. Nonetheless, women are furthermore seen as trophies because they are used by their family to gain money. This is where, like I said, toxic masculinity and sexism play off each other in a way because women are used and men are given more expectations that determine whether they're the perfect fit for marriage, or for a decent role in society. Now think of these bride prices as the opposite of the Indian caste system, or how they worked in the Indian caste system, or the European dowry system, where the bride's family pays. It's pretty interesting to see. And that brings us to our closer. You see, sexism and toxic masculinity are still so relevant in today's society, but there's a lot of ignorance surrounding them. A lot of the attitude that is geared towards men and women in Things Fall Apart is the attitude that is geared towards men and women today. Though some of it has gotten a lot better, there is still a huge stigma when it comes to accepting certain changes in society. However, society must undergo change no matter what. And if you don't keep up with it, if you are too arrogant to see it, well, bad things happen. As we see in Things Fall Apart, uh, when you refuse to change with the society you're given or your surroundings, you fail, just like Okonkwo did. You see, he refused to convert to Christianity and realized that his expectations for things were too extreme. Christianity um, gave acceptance to some people, like Noye, and he just couldn't accept anything. (laughs) Hopefully, I brought you to some deeper aspects uh, of this book and of life in general and put some different lenses that... Uh, to different topics that you didn't see to light before. Thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.